am Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. You know, I uh, I really have had a lot of interesting clients and adventures in the practice of gun law. It's really rarely ever boring, and that's one of the fun things about practicing law because you never know. It's always something different, and uh, and, and clients sometimes are just uh, uh, amazing in 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 the uh, variety that uh, walk through my door. And uh, one, of, one of my, yeah, yeah, it's true. There's a big variety. And, and what happens is, you know, I've represented everyone, you know, from, I mean, you name the occupation, whatever, lawyers, doctors, judges. I haven't represented an Indian chief yet, at least not to my knowledge, but I assume that'll come. But I'll tell you one that really goes to the other extreme of, of clients. One time, I represented a bona fide Elvis impersonator on a possession of an assault firearm charge. Now, I got to tell you guys, look, you know, I'm in my office and the client is, you know, I don't know he's an Elvis impersonator. I just have this guy coming in. I'm going to talk about an assault firearm charge, right? And in walks Elvis. The guy is in full regalia. And I'm talking 70s Elvis, man. I'm talking the white cape, the TCB jewelry, the rhinestones, the glasses, the whole freaking bit. And I was like, I'm thinking I'm being pranked by somebody. I'm trying to think who's the, which one of my so-called friends is doing this to me. But no, this guy walks in and he talks like a, how you doing, man? And I'm like, great, nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm, I got his uh, assault firearm charge, and I'm, I need your help. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. Sit down. And and he's and I'm asking him the typical, and it's it's like surreal when you're just talking to Elvis across your lawyer desk, and he's talking about you know his assault firearm charge. Now look, I knew Elvis personally. Elvis, I knew you know liked guns. He was quite a gun guy. He was a gun guy. You know, he liked guns. I visited Graceland. I saw where we used to practice target shooting in Graceland in one of the side uh, garage areas there. And that was interesting. But this Elvis had a so-called New Jersey assault fire. And what was actually putting aside that he was Elvis, the, the charge was bogus. He was actually charged with having an assault fire. And what he had was, I'm not kidding, a Ruger 1022, folks. A Ruger 1022 that they were somehow claiming was an assault firearm. So this, the charge itself was going to go because that's an absurdity in and of itself. But here's poor Elvis here charged, and he has to face these charges. And I'm looking at him. I go, I go, hey man. I said, you know, like why? I mean, I understand why are you dressed like Elvis. You know, I really need to know. And he's like, well, you know, I'm a. I'm I do Elvis uh, songs. I'm an entertainer. I, I, this is what I do. And I said, oh, you're an Elvis impersonator? You know, you know, well, yeah, you could say that. But the reason I could say it is because he thought he really was Elvis, not an impersonator. And I said, okay, so like you have a gig later or something? No, no, I just stay in, I just stay in my character, man. And I'm like, really? I mean, you like go to like Walmart dressed like this and you go to like, out to eat and go to the bank like this. Oh yeah, man, all the time, all the time. I, I live it. I said, well, okay, I understand. Maybe it's for your act or whatever. But yeah, so here's this Elvis guy. I'm like, oh man, okay. And he said, so you know, I really, uh, I really uh, see. I need your help. And 
want to hire you. And I said, all right, no problem. Look, I, as far as the gun charge goes, he really is yet another victim of New Jersey gun laws. He's a bona fide victim. This never should happen. And another extreme anti-gun bias situation. And uh, just charge him now, sort him out later kind of a deal. So we, you know, he retains me. and I'm happy to represent him and register. I go outside. He's got a whole, like, Elvis TCB truck. You know, everything's set up. I mean, all the, oh, my God, all over Elvis. Everything's Elvis. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is But all right. So anyway, we have our first court date, and it is set for arraignment. And it never occurred to me, but yes, you guessed it. He shows up to court in full Elvis regalia. Yep, 70s Elvis, white cape, rhinestones, TCB jewelry, the glasses, the sideburn deal, the whole bit is freaking Elvis walking the halls of Monmouth County Court, and I'm his attorney, and I'm like, oh, my God. And we get to the court, and the judge there is a great judge, Judge Farron. I love Judge Farron. He's late Judge Farron, unfortunately passed away, but great judge. He was actually the judge, the first judge. He declared New Jersey's assault farm law unconstitutional. He was a judge with balls, okay? He knew it was wrong, knew it was un and declared it, and we had that. And that's what actually led to the changes in the law where we have the 1996 attorney general opinion that had to set up uh, what guns uh, became lawful and how it worked because it was found unconstitutional by Judge Farron for vagueness. But anyway, Farron, good guy, and I always enjoyed coming before him and all, but I was there going, oh, my God, wait till he calls his case. He calls the case. I got to walk up to defense counsel desk with... Elvis. And Judge Farron is looking at me and he's trying his best not to laugh. And I knew that he was going to bust my chops so bad in chambers, I was never going to live this down. I can tell you right now, I was never going to live it down. So he gets up, uh, Mr. Knappen, welcome back. Yes, hi. Uh, yes, uh, good morning, Your Honor. Um, I'm here on this case, you know, and he's like, ah, yes, I see, your client uh, dressed for court, I see. Yes, uh, Your Honor, my, my client is um, is an entertainer. He's, uh, well, I know he's a pretty famous entertainer, isn't he, Counselor? And I said, yeah, I, I guess so, Your Honor, but uh, I didn't realize that he would be, uh, you know, wearing his uh, his uh, outfit today. Uh, I, 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 you must have a gig or something later so uh that's you know like i whatever i don't even know and the judge is he's like well uh, uh entering a not guilty plea i assume yes uh enter the not guilty plea and uh, he's like uh, now uh i assume you're gonna try to avoid him having to sing jailhouse rock aren't you counselor yes your honor yes uh you know uh all that all we can right and, he's, and he looks, oh, salt farm charge. I'm not very familiar with that. Yes, thank you, Your Honor. I know you are. I'm looking forward to uh, bringing a motion on this case as the others. And you say, okay, uh, you know, you you're, can go now, but uh, please uh, speak to your client about uh, appropriate dress. Now, remember, this is a fully packed court. All the other attorneys are there. All the clients are there. The defendants are waiting I mean, it's not like just me and my client. Well, no, it was a packed place. And I'm like, 
Oh, my God. So we walk out, and I go to Elvis. I said, listen, man, you cannot come to court dressed like Elvis, okay? You can't do that, all right? It says, luckily, Judge Farron is pretty cool and was, you know, because you can hold you in contempt or whatever. You can't do that. Oh, I didn't know that, man. I didn't know that. I go, look, you can't. So if you come back, I'm telling you right, you, you come again to court dressed like Elvis, I'm going to have to withdraw as your counsel. I mean it. That's You cannot do that. Now, I'm telling him because it's for his own good. We can't have this, right? I won't, man. I won't. I'll, I'll, I won't. I said, all right. All right. I'll take your. So sure enough, we have another court date, and I basically had the thing resolved, and we're going to knock it out, and we go there, and he's, okay, he doesn't look like seven. He's more like like Christmas Elvis now. Like, he still looks like Elvis, but just not as flamboyant Elvis. It, it wasn't as bad, but I'm like, oh, man, he still couldn't tone. So anyway, we went in, and Farron's still giving me the ribbon and everything else, but it wasn't as bad as the first time. But anyway, we knocked it out. We got, rid got it dismissed. It was a success, right? So he comes back at the office just so we could wrap a few things up, meets me back at the office. Now, remember, my staff with Elvis in the building, you know, is a whole other deal. And with Elvis in the building the first time and now the second time and my paralegal, my secretary, they're like thinking it's the funniest damn thing going that I have to do. And so we're standing in my lobby and I'm, and he's very happy. It's dismissed. Very thankful. Nice guy, without a doubt, a nice guy. Crazy, but a nice guy. And he says, you know, I want to I really, really appreciate it, man. I, I so appreciate it. I want to thank you so very much. And I said, yeah, I, I'm happy to help. No, you were, you know, wrongly charged, without a doubt. You you know, and he goes, so I want to sing you a little song. And I'm like, oh, no, no, you don't have to. Oh, no, let me let me sing you a little song here. Right in the lobby, and our building's an old wooden building, actually a historic building from 1857. He gets up there, and he starts belting out this Elvis tune. I don't remember which one, uh, but he starts singing full bore, and and tapping his foot like you know time in his foot so the whole building's shaking and he's belting out this elvis song i thought my staff was gonna just fall on the ground and pee in their pants it was and i'm there trying to be nice like i know he's and he's just and i'm like okay thank you thank you you know i really appreciate it. i'm glad i appreciate what you're doing here i totally get it and uh you know we, we we won we knocked it out you know you can keep doing your thing and and so he uh he did finally Elvis did leave the building and I'll tell you what it was quite a thing to represent Elvis uh -huh. so I think I've really represented the full gamut of uh, many many different individuals and yet they all end up getting wrapped up in Jersey's ridiculous gun laws and its aggressive insane enforcement including enforcement to the degree that it's wrongly enforced because there's just no limit and you know i've had many other clients through the years some have had interesting names at one point i actually represented a fellow whose name was jesse james and i thought appearing in criminal court with your client named jesse james wasn't at least he wasn't there like trying to really be like jesse james you know you know we're gonna rob that bank after you know no no he was all cool but it was still an interesting uh, experience to have uh, Jesse James as a client. And, you know, these things, you take it, but uh, it's fun. It is fun. And I'm just 
the bottom line is I'm glad that I can say that I, I saved Elvis. Uh, it means a lot to me to know that. I've always been a big fan, but uh, there you go. So when we get back, I'm going to talk to you about one of my favorite loopholes. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law. A bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am. Right, hey, let me tell you. I want to tell you about one of my my favorite one of my favorite loopholes. Reason it's one of my favorite loopholes is because well, first of all, let me tell you a little about loopholes. See, loopholes are almost a little bit of a pejorative, I guess. I mean, it has a bit of a negative. Oh, you found a way around the law, you know, it's loophole. But really, that's not what a loophole is to me. You see, a loophole is really just freedom finding a way. And that's what a loophole is. It's freedom finding a way. As government tries to restrict our freedom, when a, quote, loophole in gun law is, is, is found and can be utilized, then freedom comes back. The liberty that they tried to take away is found and restored by the loophole. So loopholes to me are always freedom finding a way. And I always admire and respect Loopholes, because loopholes can have the effect of uh, creating the freedom, not only because of the loophole itself, but getting rid of the law that prohibited it in the first place because the loophole ends up overcoming the prohibition. And it makes the prohibition so irrelevant that it no longer needs to even be on the books. And we've seen this happen. We've seen it happen with uh, NFA trusts when you needed to get uh, NFA paperwork to file and get machine gun or sawed off or SBR or suppressor. And the ATF used to require that you had to have your chief of police sign off on it, even though they were doing the full background check, the ATF. And the problem was in the law, if the chief didn't want to sign, there was no way you could challenge him. He could just feel, I don't think anyone should own a gun. I'm not signing it. And you couldn't overcome that. 
And so what happened was the NFA trust, when when you put it in a trust, you no longer needed the chiefs, the chief law enforcement officer to sign off on it. And that avoided that whole issue. And there were many other advantages, but that was the main one. And by the time 10,000 plus, no exaggeration, NFA trusts had been filed where there's no CLE, they finally removed it and said, guess what? You don't need any CLE sign-offs anymore at all. They just got rid of the stupid requirement. So you don't need it. The chief just gets noticed, but you don't need their approval. And that was great. So what happened was Freedom found a way with the loophole, and it was so successful that it wiped out the very prohibition that it that led to its creation. Isn't that interesting? You see it over and over again. You've been involved with knife law, counsel to knife rights. I wrote the book on U.S. knife laws. And, you know, we, we, we fought and we've gotten, as many of you heard the, the show with Doug Ritter, since 2010, how many states have repealed their bans on switchblades? But you know what's helped make that happen? The loophole of assisted openers. The assisted opener, which is not a switchblade. Because to be a switchblade, you got to have a button or other device in the handle. And the assisted opener removes any need for that button because you push the blade itself, and the rest of the way it opens by a spring. But that's not a switchblade. And they became so incredibly pos- popular. It became so important to have a one-handed folding knife that just the possession of individuals by of one-handed folding knives became so broad and an access that repealing the stupid bands on switchblades became even easier because so many people had assisted openers and other one-hand openers who cares if it opens by a button as opposed to one of these other methods and what are the advantages of one-hand knives plenty how many times you're holding the fishing line you need a knife and you need or you're you're in a tree stand and you don't want to have a fixed blade because you fall with that, it, it goes through the sheath into your leg. You have a folding knife, it's safer. But you need to be able to open it with one hand. And there's so many great utilitarian uses. But they're the loophole, again, impacting on liberty and freedom. And one of my favorite loopholes is black powder firearms. And I want to tell you about black powder firearms and why they're so intriguing and interesting. And And there may be some things you don't know about black powder firearms because... It is possible to have a cartridge-firing handgun. We're talking like 45 Long Colt, even 45 ACP handgun that is not subject to federal regulation for your acquisition. In other words, you can acquire it with no paper, with no background check with no nothing how can that be it's almost like real freedom with guns how can this be well it's because of black powder firearms let me explain you see under the federal law under the federal law black powder firearms black powder and antique firearms are not considered quote firearms as regulated under the 68 gun control act so that dealers do not sell black powder firearms, 
by way of the process that you and I would use for purchasing of a modern firearm. Black powder firearms are not covered or regulated by federal law. So you can buy, under federal law, a black powder firearm with no paperwork, no background check, no nothing. They're not regulated under federal law in, that, in any of those ways. And if you buy a black powder, let's say a black powder revolver, so these are you know, essentially from models before cartridges came about, right? Pre-1870 type firearms that were not cartridge firing. And they're normally percussion, although flintlocks are still covered and others, but percussion revolver where you load in the front with the powder and the ball and you put percussion caps on the nipples on the cylinder, right? And they were very effective black powder revolvers, right? The 1851 navies, the 1860 armies, a lot of guys in the Civil War are in the ground because of the effect of these black powder revolvers. So they're effective in and of their own right. But when you look at modern black powder, these are modern reproductions of classic black powder firearms. And then there are black powder firearms that have been made to be similar to the old ones, but they're not exactly a model that existed then. And there's a wide variety of them out there. Now, one of the best black powder revolvers ever made was made by Ruger, Sturm Ruger and Company. It's called the Old Army. Now, they discontinued making the Old Army, but they made it for a lot of years. They made it in blue and stainless, and it's one of the strongest black powder revolvers ever made because the frame of the black powder revolver, the frame of the Old Army is the same frame they used for a forty-four Magnum. Same frame. Strong as can be, and it's beautiful Ruger quality machined craftsmanship, wonderful. Now, you can get a Ruger Old Army. You could buy a uh, black powder revolver. Many of them are uh, come from Italy. They're imported from Italy, and, and, and some top makers are Uberti. Uberti makes wonderful steel-framed. They have steel-frame uh, reproductions of various revolvers, uh, including the 1860, 1851, the Remingtons, etc., all made by them. And there are other many makers as well, Pieta, Pedersoli. These are all good names that make fine black powder reproduction firearms. And you see, in our history of firearms, in the period when there was uh, black powder revolvers, and basically after right about 1870-ish, what you saw was the advent particularly of the Smith & Wesson Model 3. Now, the Smith & Wesson Model 3 was a cartridge firing. If any of you have ever seen Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood, well, the Schofield kid has a Schofield. He has Smith Model 3, and it fires cartridges, right? And that was not a black powder uh, percussion revolver. That was a cartridge revolver. But once you had that wonderful advantage of being able to have cartridges, you see, then folks were like, boy, I would really prefer that. And what 
became invented at the time was what was called conversions. And there was the conversion of, if you had an old black powder revolver and percussion and you wanted to fire cartridges out of it, well, you could send it back to the factory and they'd convert it to cartridge. They're called cartridge conversion revolvers. And you may even see cartridge conversions in various movies. If you ever saw Quick and the Dead, there's a cartridge conversion. Clint Eastwood in some of his movies uses a cartridge conversion. It was that interim period between percussion and cartridge revolvers where you could convert the gun to cartridge firing. Well, you can convert modern black powder percussion firearms to cartridge firing in the same manner, actually even better than they did in the past. And there's a number of companies that sell cartridge conversions. And one is uh, Cursed. They make a really fine product. Another is Howell, tailoring company. These are all out there, and many of these are sold uh, by major sellers online, Midway and Brownells, et cetera, and they're cartridge cylinder conversions, and, and they drop right in. So you can take your black powder revolver percussion, and you can drop in the conversion cylinder, and now you can fire center fire cartridges out of this black powder gun. Now remember, you acquired this gun under federal law with no permit, license, or background, and you are lawfully, under federal law, you're allowed to put a conversion cylinder in it and use it as such. And so this opens up a world of possibilities, doesn't it? Think about it. Now, if you live in, depending on certain states, states may still regulate this, and different states have different laws, how they view any cartridge-firing firearm. But what's interesting, for New Jersey in particular, is how this all works. And even if you don't live in New Jersey, I think you'll find it interesting how New Jersey... New Jersey actually puts in the category of firearm, antique, modern, and black powder. They put it all in the same category. So New Jersey does not distinguish as a state under the state law between black powder, firearms, percussion revolvers, flint like that, and modern. They're all the same as far as New Jersey's concerned. And if you're in New Jersey and you want to buy a, a black powder percussion 18... You know, 51 Navy or 1860 Army or Ruger Old Army, you want to buy that. It's the same paperwork permit process as if you wanted to buy a 50 Desert Eagle semi-auto pistol. Okay, same. So you're thinking, okay, well, napping, how does that help me? That doesn't, how does it say? Ah, but that's because you're making the acquisition in New Jersey. But you see, if you just cross the border into Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania does not regulate black powder firearms in any manner differently than the way the feds do as far as purchase and acquisition and all. And you can buy in Pennsylvania as a Jersey resident, you can buy a black powder firearm. You can go to Cabela's and Hamburg and buy a black powder revolver. Perfectly lawful. No permit needed. No Jersey permit. Nothing. You buy it in Pennsylvania. You're now under the jurisdiction of Pennsylvania. You're under the jurisdiction of the federal law. You're not breaking any law. And you can bring that firearm back to New Jersey because you're going from place of purchase back to your home. It's an actual exemption in Jersey law. And when you come back to your home, you possess the black powder firearm in your home under the exemption.
which is the same way you'd possess even a handgun that you purchased with a New Jersey pistol purchase permit in New Jersey because that permit is only good for one thing, purchase. It's not a possession permit. New Jersey doesn't have that. So you are either within an exemption to possess or not, unless you have one of the rare, 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 crazy rare carry licenses, which only less than 600 civilians have in New Jersey. So every handgun lawfully possessed in New Jersey is possessed by way of an exemption. And the number one is the home exemption. So this black powder handgun that you purchased in another state legally and you brought back to New Jersey, that's yours. You don't have to register it. Registration is voluntary in New Jersey, except on an acquisition of a handgun in New Jersey. That's why the permit says form of register. But you didn't need a permit for this. You bought it outside New Jersey. You brought it back by way of exemption. You're keeping it in your home by way of exemption. You can go to the target range by way of exemption as well, because it's the same exemptions that apply to all handguns. And now it's a black powder. And remember, Jersey doesn't distinguish between black powder and modern. So I say, why not get a conversion cylinder for it? Just a gun part. They'll ship it right to you. That's not a problem. It's just a gun part. And now you make your percussion a cartridge firearm. I mean, let's face it. Since Jersey wants to say that black powder percussion is the same as cartridge firearms, why not oblige them? And now you have a cartridge firearm. No paper, no, no fuss, no muss, and Jersey, and Jersey legal. Jersey legal because you are possessing by way of the exemption. And when you make the acquisition outside of the state, you're no longer under that jurisdiction of that state. Now, look, different states have different laws. You have to check your state law. But under federal law, there's no question that it is lawful and it is not the, 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 the federal gun law does not apply to it. And, you know, there's, uh, by the way, in Pennsylvania, there's one of my favorite places to visit. And this is not a plug because, you know, any sort of, I'm going to pay. I'm telling you, honestly, this is what I like. This is a place I personally, anytime I go, like, to the Allentown Gun Show or I'm in Pennsylvania, I always want to stop at Dixon's Muzzle Loading Shop. It's an awesome, awesome store. It's like you walk back into the 1860s, man. It's so cool. And they have all the great black powder firearms. They got antiques, great displays of guns, and they're super knowledgeable, real nice folks, and they're super knowledgeable. So you want to walk in with it. And many t and look, the Ruger, for example, the Ruger Old Army, that's a discontinued gun. But you know, they even have used guns and consignment guns. Maybe you can pick up a Ruger there. They have new Uberties that are, you know, steel framed, beautiful. And the other thing, the most important, they'll help you out. They'll get you set up with your black powder needs. You know, they have the right powder. They're really not. They'll tell you how to do it. They have the, the balls, the uh, wadding, you know, everything you need. And they'll explain it and set you up so you can go enjoy muzzle-loading shooting, which is a lot of fun in and of itself, just on the muzzle-loading side. So if you ever get a chance, give yourself a treat and check out uh, Dixon's there. Really fun place. Always love it. But, you know, Cabela's sells them in Pennsylvania. They sell them gun show, other stores. I'm not, you know, they're around. And this is the thing. Black powder firearms. Great exemption and a wonderful loophole. And remember, loopholes are just freedom 
finding a way. Keep a fellow gun owner from becoming a law-abiding criminal. Tell them to listen to Gun Lawyer Radio. Visit our website at gun.lawyer. What I'd really love is for you to take a look at our inner circle. Really be great for you to join that. It's, it's free. It's right on our website at gun.lawyer. Sign up for the inner circle, and you're going to get the inside from me, Evan Knappen. I'll be giving you tips, tricks, insights, and always a lot of fun. Be able to give you the links to the loopholes, the whole bit. Sign up. It's free. Go to gun.lawyer and join our inner circle. Remember, you see, this helps us communicate with you to touch base and to let you know what's going on. This is because, you know, big tech doesn't care about our gun rights. They kind of don't like us. And they they want to shut us down. And the inner circle is a way that we can stay in contact despite their efforts. And, you know, we're going to have some big issues coming up, folks. Executive orders, all kinds of nasty things. You're going to need to know what to do to protect yourself, what loopholes there might be, and what steps you're going to need to take. I'm going to fill you in on all that. You're going to want to know how you're going to deal with a pistol brace reg if it comes down, for example. How are you going to deal with an executive order by Biden on gun transfers? How are you going to do this? Look, join the inner circle and you'll be able to protect yourself and your rights. Please subscribe, rate the show, help me get the word out. I'm depending on you. This is Evan Knappen reminding you, gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.